0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, as COVID restrictions ease, the Tourism Task Force is calling on Ontarians to do staycations in the province to help the hard-hit sector. How are they planning? Well, we'll get into that in just a couple of minutes. The Public Health Agency of Canada has released its guidelines for what fully vaccinated Canadians can do, but experts say they leave plenty of room for confusion. Biostatistician Ryan Imgren joins us to talk about that. And the speculation of a federal election continues. Who's hot and who's not? it's all coming up the bill kelly podcast starts now today on the bill kelly show on 900 chml we have talked many times on the program over the last number of months about uh, some of the hardest hit sectors of the economy during COVID, and uh, one of them, of course, is tourism and hospitality. Uh, it's uh, very, very uh, problematic, of course, because so many of these facilities have been closed, and it's going to take an awful lot of work and dedication to uh, to get that industry back on its feet. Well, to their credit, uh, the provincial government, a little while ago, uh, formed the Tourism Economic Recovery Ministerial Task Force uh, to basically go around and get information and talk to the people in the industry and say, okay, what can we do to make things better? Well, the chair of that uh, committee was Tim Hudak. Tim, of course, is a former Conservative leader and a former tourism minister in the Ontario government some years ago, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about the recommendations. Tim, great to have you back on the program. Hope you're doing well these days. Doing all
1: right, Bill. Thanks for being back on. Good to hear your voice.
0: Yeah, well, uh, this is interesting. I, the, the day they made the announcement, I had our good friend Richard Brennan, who you know very well as well from yeah. his time at Queen's Park, and we just figured this is a smart move. I mean, you know this portfolio in and out. Uh, matter of fact, first time you and I met was uh, when I was working at uh, CH Talk Live, and we did a town hall down at the Fallsview uh, with you as tourism minister, and we talked about tourism and, and a number of other things. So. It seemed like the logical choice. Uh, I'm surprised the, the report came in this quickly. What have you learned uh, from talking to the people in the industry over the last while?
1: Well, times are tough, uh, but there's a lot, of, a lot of optimism that we can turn things around when it comes to tourism, heritage, and culture. Um, let me give some quick background, Bill. I appreciate yeah. what, what you said about me as the choice to chair this. I had the honor uh, of working with... Um, about 35 uh, tourism uh, leaders from across the province from you know big cities to small towns in northern ontario and we had a bunch of other subcommittees uh, to further our reach lisa mcleod she is the minister of heritage sport tourism culture industries has done a, a great job here she's been there for the hard-hit sector she's listened she got to cabinet and she's had about a billion dollars in programs to help get through covid and then rebound and part of that she looked for guidance On when that green light goes on again, Bill, when the the Premier Medical officers of Health say it's safe to go out, explore this province, we want to accomplish two things. Help families create those awesome memories that are going to last, that have been put on hold for these last 15 months during lockdown. And secondly, in so doing, get the women and men back on the payroll, help small businesses open their doors again, and plan for a better future.
0: Uh, there's one phrase here that i want you to comment on because it really jumped out at me uh, the ontario government and public health officials emphasize a safe to travel message with the same urgency and energy that they used for the stay home order a few months ago uh that's as as, as good a start as any i think to just say hey the message is different now it's a matter of fact it's the total opposite of what we told you a few months ago because the, of the changing circumstance
1: yeah n- number one on our our top 10 list there's going to be really two types of people bill those that are just dying to get out, you know, like, I'd love to take my daughters uh, out to to a museum, go to some attractions in uh, in Niagara Falls. And there's another group that are going to be very hesitant because they've been hit these last 16 months, rightly so, with a very cautious uh, message. So number one, our recommendation is to say you need a comprehensive campaign that involves tourism marketing to be able to get out and about, that it's safe to do so. But also symbolically, we would like to see Premier Ford, for example, touring the province. Minister McLeod herself, she's already done that last year. We had a bit of a break from this. But also, how about the medical officers of health going to visit a restaurant, going to do a bit of a tour? They need to put the exact same energy and fire into saying to folks, it's safe to travel now. Get out there, explore the province. And when you do that, it helps you get your neighbors back to work as
0: well. One of the other things I find interesting about this, too, is you have uh, dusted off the Ontario Yours to Discover uh, phrase that uh, that we all know so well. And uh, this is as good a year as any, I guess, to have it back in there.
1: Yeah, so the concept here, and I, I love that song. I'm going I hear you say it, Bill, I can hear the theme song from that sort of 80s-era marketing that was refreshed a few years ago. Basically, the goal here would be to create some Yours to Discover days. There's been so many long weekends that normally you'd be out traveling with the family maybe your spouse, and you had to stay at home because of the COVID restrictions. All that lost time. So how about we look ahead in the fall this year, the spring next year, and have these yours to discover days? It's a way for the Ministry of Tourism to work with private businesses, cities and attractions, whether that's going to be discounts, promotional tours. It's a good way, too, Bill, to extend the tourism shoulder season so it lasts longer. You go to new places and then help this hard-hit sector recover, because as you know, Bill, tourism has been hit probably first, deepest, and longest of any sector when it comes to job losses in our provincial economy.
0: What are the, the messages here? And I think one of the underlying themes of the whole thing, Tim, seems to be uh, stay home, not in your home, but in Ontario. Vacation. There's lots to see, do, and here uh, until uh, you know everything else is clear. And you know the border may be open again. We don't know when that's going to happen. But in the meantime, there's lots to see and do here in this province.
1: Yeah, we wanted to see uh, the year had to be the year of the staycation, uh, a chance for you know, Ontarians then to uh, travel across province, maybe visit places they've been to before to rediscover our province or new places. And a lot of this is saying, okay, how do we help extend that an extra day of travel, uh, for uh, for example, or maybe go to an additional region? How do we put through an app, a one-size-fits-all um, approach where I can say, okay, I want to do a, a craft brewery tour. And there you go, Bill, there it is. I want to lo- learn to go fishing. And explore our great lakes and those types of packages will be available for any individual any family in our province in and a one-stop shop
0: how are you going to incentivize people they you said there's, you know that second group that you you referenced him uh, that are a little nervous about this uh... and i think there's a lot of people in that group right now uh... who've been impacted by COVID and, and have you know seen the statistics and it, it it's daunting to be sure uh, Oftentimes, you you need something in, in the form of an incentive to get people to say, yeah, I think I'll give this a shot. What, what's the the committee recommending? You're right. You
1: need that nudge uh, for people uh, to to get out of their homes. As we said earlier, the number one recommendation is, is a message to make sure we have um, clear safety guidelines across the province. It's safe to get out. But secondly, we think you need to go further. Now, now the province did announce in a previous budget that there would be a travel incentive, a twenty percent. Uh, tax credit for your traveling needs. They're still working on that program, and I should emphasize here, Bill, the Tourism Task Force recommendations are all just that, recommendations that have gone back to the minister and her cabinet colleagues that say, okay, we like this one, we like that one, we're going to tweak that one. So they're a recommendation stage. This travel incentive then would give you a 20% tax credit, so that might be an extra night uh, on a trip down to, you know, uh, southwestern Ontario, for, for example, or in Hamilton, or maybe an extra meal or an extra stop at, um, uh, you know, any kind of attraction across our our province. And we say, you know what, that's good. That's a a great start. But we go a step further. And we looked at uh, hospitality loyalty cards like we all have in our wallets, uh, in our purses. So that could be gathering points. There could be contests in there to see who's traveled the farthest, gone to most attractions. Uh, Or here's an example in Prince Edward Island. They have a card that if you stay two nights in a hotel, say in downtown Hamilton, then you got a voucher for $100 that you could put towards meals and attractions. Those types of nudges, Bill, we think will get people out of their homes, spending the economy, and people back to work.
0: Tim, I would think part of this has to also be, uh, I was going to say education, but uh, marketing and to let people know what is open now. I mean... For instance, we we love live theater. Rebecca and I love live theater. Shaw Festival's open this year, and Stratford's open now. It not in the theaters. They're going to be outdoor festivals and outdoor plays this year, which is a bit of a different thing. But they will be there. So you know, for people that they gravitate to that and want to go to Niagara on the Lake and see something at Shaw, it's there, and they need to explore that. And same at Stratford as well. Uh, and it's it's going to be a little bit different, but that's the pandemic. And, and you know, it's it's important, I think, to get the message out there that look, a lot of the stuff that was not. Not even available last summer is available it, it may be in a different form but it's there this year
1: um, absolutely and over time it will it will transform into what we remembered or something I, I believe you know even better and that's why we thought and recommended a single platform um to the province a sort of explore on ontario a one-stop shop where i could say okay you know what we've not been to shaw for a couple of years uh how do we get back down there we're going to be in the theater or outdoor theater. So you could obviously search on Shaw or preferably through the provincial website. You could actually then see what is available and then say, Oh, you know what? Here's some other uh, theaters in different parts of the province. They'll go on a bit of a tour this year. This, this program is recommended at focusing, as she said earlier, Bill on Ontarians first, we think there'll be a lot of domestic travel. There'll be a hunger to make it the year of the staycation. But then we also do talk about secondary phases to help bring other Canadians to Ontario Americans and then international travel, but it all starts later this year, next year, with Ontarians
0: first. Yes, I talked about uh, relaxing some of the liquor license laws, and this is not a new discussion. Uh, I think you and I had this discussion when you were leading the party at the time about you know maybe we need to re- revise these a little bit. Uh, there seems to be an attitude for the government to at least look at this. So, that and as you mentioned, and we underscore these; these are just recommendations. These are not policies. The government's going to say yes, no, maybe, uh, but. I've heard from an awful lot of people in the industry, Tim, that suggest that might not be a bad idea, even if it's on an interim basis, just to get people back and out and about.
1: You know, there's been some great gains, uh, Bill, that you've talked about uh, on the program in reducing red tape. Some of these, you know, holdovers from the Victorian era that treated too much people like children to be babysat instead of treating them like the adults they are. So our task force um, had a great experience. tell you a bit behind the scenes. Minister McLeod made sure she brought in other ministries that came before the task force and talked about the red tape reduction initiatives. So we packaged a bunch of these up. So some things that are happening now in Hamilton, in London, and across our province, uh, like the ability to deliver uh, alcohol with your takeout meal, the expansion of patios. Great. Keep those. But let's keep the you know, the pedal to the metal and go further. Some examples we recommend, Bill. How about all-inclusive packages? Many of us who have gone south in the past, right, enjoy the all-inclusive. That's currently not legal in the province of Ontario to have that when it comes to alcohol. So imagine if our resorts could do that. Or how about this? You have a street festival in downtown Hamilton, uh, around uh, London other parts of the province, where you can actually you know, carry your, your beer or your glass of wine from different entertainers to the next, or between bars or part of closing down a street. That's sort of a portable idea as well. And for areas with casinos, you know, we've got a lot of old rules for holding back uh, casinos as well from bringing in more patrons. There's just some quick examples off the top of my head and what we can do to reduce the red tape burden, scrap these outdated laws and let people have a bit more fun.
0: What's the, uh, the word? I know you've talked to Minister McLeod about this, and there is a sense of urgency. I mean, you know, we're just about heading into July, and that's when a lot of the, the people in this industry are going to be looking for immediate assistance on this. Do you get the, the sense that they're going to be acting on this quickly?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and of course, um, the minister was, was looped in as we went through this. We gave a preliminary recommendation, so a number of things they've already tried to act uh, upon, like having more clear rules as we open. The opening is happening at a faster pace than a ri- the original plan that is good uh, to see. She's done some terrific work with packaging up these trails and itineraries, um, whether in small towns uh, or in big cities. So we're really pleased to see a lot of um, check marks on the report right out of the gate. Uh, there is more to be done as they review them, but I- I'm really optimistic about this. Bill. I, you know, I-, I think a lot of people listening to, uh, to you today will be like you and I that say, look, I just can't wait to get out of my house. I got how we we did this. Ontarians made a lot of sacrifices. So I'm pleased now to see Premier Ford and his government saying, how do we re- reward Ontarians uh, for following the rules, you know, parking their lives as we got through COVID with these government programs to create those awesome family memories that you'll think about down the road. So I, I really like the energy and the forward thinking that went into this report.
0: As you talk to people in the industry over the last couple of weeks, Tim, do you get the sense that they're ready to do this? I know they're willing and hopefully able, but, I mean, there, you know, there's employment situations. A lot of people got laid off. It tries to get some of them back uh, for things like this. It's it's a, a very, very complicated process. But did you get the sense that they've already started the ball rolling on that?
1: One, one thing that impressed me, and you're kind of remember when I was uh, tourism um, minister under a previous uh, PC government, was the, the determination, the ingenuity, how innovative many of these businesses are in tourism, culture, and heritage. Uh, the people I, I sat around the table with, those women and men, Bill, they, they're worrying about keeping the lights on in their own business, but they'd rolled up their sleeves for free. This is all volunteer work to put together this package. So there, there have been government programs to help keep the lights on, so to speak, to help get through. But what is really, government can only take us so far. We really need now consumers, the customers, to come back to feel comfortable doing so. We want to get beyond, you know, just sort of treading water uh, to a better time. We need this type of uh, bold action to actually get people moving through the doors. And I'm confident across the 10 recommendations, there's a lot in there that can help those businesses that some places build lost 60 to 80 percent of their employees um, get people back to work
0: absolutely Uh, i share your enthusiasm for this i mean we're heading into the season right now and i've talked to so many people in this industry that have been so impacted by this and uh hopefully the the sun is going to start shining on them uh, through the summer season which is the busiest time of the year uh tim thanks so much for the time today uh great work on this report and uh here's hoping that we can have you back on so shortly to talk about some of the successes my pleasure bill thanks for your interest and i look forward to that you betcha. Tim Hudak, of course, who is the chair of the uh, Tourism Task Force with a number of recommendations for the Ontario government. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. What are you allowed to do and what not to do? Uh, a lot of us are now are, have, have had at least one shot, and that's great news. Uh, we need to get those numbers up, with there the people with both shots. But uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada came up with some guidelines the other day that basically said if you've been double-vaxxed, if you had both shots, there's a long list of things that you can do right now. Global's Eric Sorensen has the details. we apologize that the tools were not ready. Um, it was an awkward rollout, but the Public Health Agency of Canada has finally produced guidelines for Canadians depending on their vaccination status. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need a mask or to physically distance in most outdoor settings and indoor settings with small groups. You can also consider not having masks or distancing indoors with larger groups or outdoor large gatherings like concerts unless you have health risks. For those not vaccinated or partially vaccinated, no mask or distancing is needed for small groups outside. You could consider mask removal and not distancing for some indoor and outdoor gatherings, but you should still wear a mask and physically distance if you are inside with multiple households or, say, outdoors at a crowded concert. So here's the dilemma that a lot of people are facing right now, and and that sounds like wonderful news that we've progressed that far, that now we can not just throw the masks away, but there's, there's a lot more leniency with what's going on. And this is all done by the Public Health Agency of Canada. But about seven or eight days ago, uh, these same people criticized the Center for Disease Control down in the States for basically saying the same thing and said, oh, that's, that's going too far too soon. Can't do that. So have things changed that dramatically, or have these guys changed their minds again? Brian Imgren's is going to join us to talk about this. Ryan, of course, is a biostatistician who's been studying uh, this uh, and, and the numbers that have been going on for the last little while. Always get great to get his perspective on this. Ryan, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us on the program again.
2: And thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it let me ask you something as as you look at the numbers in the crunch and i'm talking about uh, not just the number of new cases we know that's down hospitalizations are down that's great icu uh, patients with covid are way way down and that's fabulous too but this delta variant uh, and the variant of the delta variant that seemed to still be out there uh uh, six seven days ago was a major cause of concern for a lot of these uh, experts the medical experts Uh, now they seem to think that we can loosen the the strings just a little bit what are your thoughts on this
2: yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've been battling with the reproductive rate here in Ontario, of uh, rate right around one. Um, it's gone up to more, to rate under one recently. And basically the reproductive rate is how many secondary infections are caused by one primary infection. Now, what we expect is that as the Delta variant takes over. If we haven't vaccinated enough, we're expecting that reproductive rate to go above one. And if the reproduction number goes above one, you're going to see case growth. Fortunately, what we've seen is we've really, really picked up the vaccination pace here in Ontario, here across Canada. And because we've picked up the vaccination pace, we found that we've been winning this fight against this Delta variant, and we haven't had a reproduction value above one in Ontario um, since what halfway through April.
0: So that's the good news. Uh, when I hear uh, some of the recommendation here, say, for instance, well, even if you haven't been vaccinated, you can probably hang out and not wear a mask with a bunch of people, you know, in a small setting, et cetera. Uh, are we disaster if we're doing that?
2: Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. I, it's, it's almost struggling to be the guidance when you don't have things that you can and can't do. There was a lot of that kind of um, yellowy zone, yield, more like cautionary stuff, and it's kind of up to you and who you're with. And you're right, I think when we don't know how we're doing against the Delta variant, you've got to be very, very clear what you can and what you cannot do. There should be very, very clear guidance, which for me um, should be red and it should be green. You can have that more cautionary a- approach if it's you know, like based off of something like case counts and things like that. The issue is risk assessment for every person is going to be different. Um, you know, and I think one thing that was really forgotten about in all of this is the younger population under 12 who is not able to get vaccinated at all. Are they just forever stuck in this you are not vaccinated section or will there be separate restrictions for them later on? We don't know. This seems to be more of fly-of-the-moment restrictions that are based on what we have now. I would have liked to have seen, you know, what things would look like a month, two months, three months from now, so that we can encourage more people to get vaccinated.
0: But when they send a message like that, that I find somewhat, uh, you know, contrary to exactly what they were saying a week ago. Uh, So in other words, if I have not had even my first vaccine, uh, and i hear this message and say yeah i can start hanging out with people in the park now I, or i can go to small outdoor gatherings uh, that's encouraging them to almost say well i guess i don't need i don't need to get vaccinated this whole thing's almost over now that's not the message we want to send out at this stage is it no and it's
2: the it's similar to what the CDC, the CDC, like did except they did it the other way they released guidelines way way too early and because they released them so early really nobody followed them um here it seems that we're releasing guidelines that are just not very specific. Um, they're very like, open to interpretation. And it's not really guidance if it's, if it's you know, that widely open to interpretation when you have a Delta variant, which may still be on the rise. We don't fully know what that Delta variant is going to look like over this next month or two.
0: And, and again, uh, just talking about how it seems to just clash with some of the other information that we're getting right now, and, and especially here in Ontario. Let's talk about that. It's it's pretty obvious from the rollout program that the, this, the government's put in place here. Uh, they're taking baby steps. I mean, they're, they're cautious. I mean, he got burned when he opened too early before, and we saw a big spike, and he had to shut everything down. He, he certainly doesn't want to do that again. I don't think anybody wants to see that again. But these guidelines from the, the federal agency, Public Health Agency, seem to basically say, no, it's things are cool now. you can do these sorts of things. Uh, yet we're still moving at a snail's pace when it comes to reopening here in Ontario.
2: Yeah, and you're right. I think that's the other thing too is that in these federal guidelines it does say that lay like, provincial guidelines are going to trump what they say and you know sure it is a different situation throughout the Canada but Ontario is definitely moving at a snail's pace. I mean with that being said, we don't know what the delta variant is like. We do have a reproduction rate very similar to one, and that's just with a stage one reopening. A lot of people say, and this is the most common thing that I hear from people, why is Ontario being treated differently from the other provinces? Well, Ontario was one of the first provinces that had that third wave back at the end of February, start of, of uh, like March with the one variant. So we don't wanna be now the only province having something go on because of the Delta variant. So I do think Going slow and taking our time is the right approach because, as you said, I don't think you want to be burned again by reopening way too quick.
0: Hey, and listen, I—well, I, my listeners know this, but I mean, just—I'm not one of these people that says they just want to stay in the basement until this thing is all over. I mean, I want—I want to go to football games this year. I want to start going to theaters again. All this—I want that to happen. But I'm looking at what we're doing here and what the the public health body is is recommending that we can do. and what we tend to do in situations like this and you if I you and I've had this discussion is we look to other parts of the world that may be a little bit ahead of us when it comes to how the vaccine rolled out or how the the, the variants have rolled out. Uh, Boris Johnson over in the UK just put the, 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 the pause button on their rollout because of the number of new cases of the variant all of a sudden if if we all of a sudden decide okay forget the masks forget the social distancing somebody in this group is probably double vax so we're all going to be okay are we setting ourselves up for another fall
2: yeah that's interesting The comparison when you said the uk because really what you know like places trajectory have we been following so far it seems to be the uk and the uk like ontario has been very very different from the rest of the world a lot of people like to point to the us and israel and and other places like that for places that have released restrictions and nothing has really happened um but you know we seem to be following at least in the past what the uk has done we've had similar variants to them um about six to eight weeks later now six to eight weeks later from now would be around halfway through august which is when you typically see that inevitable uptick so i mean i it's It's very, very tough when you see all these other provinces and, you know, most of the United States opening up. And then here in Ontario, we do seem to be left behind. But we do have to remember when these guidelines were first released a month, month and a half ago, I think they were universally acclaimed across Ontario. I don't think anyone at the time when these guidelines came out said that they weren't safe and that they weren't prudent. It was almost universal. The stage one, stage two, stage three reopening here in Ontario was solid. And now that we've vaccinated faster, we want to rush things a little bit. And I don't know if that's the most prudent approach.
0: Well, especially when you talk about people that are partially vaccinated at this stage. In other words, they've had the first shot, but maybe not the second. And, and you know, we don't want to get into the, the reasons why that got delayed, but they, they seem to be accelerating again, and that's fine. But uh, we also know that, especially with the Delta variant, that on one shot uh, is not as effective as the second shot. They say that second shot is very important. And it's great that we're up, but over 70 percent, I guess it was, in Canada, at least with one shot. But we're still around 21, 22 percent. Aren't we for, for people that are fully vaccinated? Yeah, and
2: that's exactly it. And, I mean, we are not at high enough numbers. And that, you know, the basic 25% that have received that second shot, it still takes about two weeks for you to actually become technically fully vaccinated. I think, you know, the other thing to kind of keep in mind, too, is that, um, you know, this morning is now kind of the first time that, like everyone in Ontario um, is able to really book in that second vaccination. So even if it's booked in, and that happens one or two weeks from now, and then you have that second dose protection two weeks from now, that's around a month. And that one month from now is approximately when stage three will be starting here in Ontario. So I think it's going to line up very, very nicely. We're definitely going to have more than their, their stage three target, which was 25% fully vaccinated. We're going to probably have at a, around that time 50 to 60% of our population vaccinated which means stage three hopefully will be a success and then we never have to go back to a stage two we've just kind of crushed the thing at that time
0: all right but here's the other question and i i hate to keep bringing this up but it, it's very relevant to the conversation how do you know who's vaccinated and who isn't you know if there's going to be a, 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 pac- a picnic or a family gathering or anything like that or people wanting to get together oh yeah yeah i've had the vaccination well can you prove that because uh, there's still some people that are going to be nervous about this and there's there's at this stage still no proof to say yes I've been vaccinated yes I've had my second shot.
2: Yeah I think that's been one of the criticisms of the rollout here in Ontario is the fact that we had so many months to look like we planned for and yet we didn't plan on what to do in terms of uh, the, the vaccination proof, vaccination passport or what the requirements would be for it. Sure we do have those little white clips but our businesses allowed to ask for that? Is that something which is allowed to be done? I think that's something which really needed to be addressed months ago, and that could be the encouragement for people to get that second dose. I think that's really important. We need as many people vaccinated as possible for herd immunity to actually kick in. And I think the way to do it is to have those enticements for people to get vaccinated and having a vaccination card, a vaccination passport at least for some of the higher-risk areas, such as like indoor dining, concerts, and things like that, that should have been something that, unfortunately, we shouldn't be discussing now. It should have been a like done deal three or four months ago.
0: And I know they've got down that road a little ways anyway. A week or so ago, when they were talking about some uh, requirements for the airline industry, if you want to get on a plane, Uh proof of vaccination in some way shape or form is, is going to be essential uh and i get that but i mean you're right when you get into the indoor dining aspect of this and or any other of the things that we've been talking about here uh, again who's vaccinated and who's not and and i know some people get really upset when you start talking about vaccine passports but it's and the government doesn't even seem to want to talk much about it uh, because they know there's going to be some pushback but it it seems to me when you look at what's going on i'll use the uk again as an example uh that it's part it's one of the tools that they use yes
2: exactly and i think you know that's that's what we need to keep in mind that even if it's not used here in ontario it's not used in like canada we are going to see vaccine passports around the world and these may be things which are going to be changing as you go so you know worst thing to have happen would be to book a trip like pay for your flight and then find out that you meet like canadian requirements but you don't meet the requirements of wherever you're going to, or wherever there's an actual stopover. And I think, you know, we really, really need to have something at least for the travel. I I think that's a um, non-negotiable, and I don't know if that little white slip is going to be proof enough. I don't think really anybody knows at this time whether that's enough to travel to certain places in the future
0: and again i'm going to go back to what we got told a couple of weeks ago but you know even if you get your second vaccine and like you say it takes about two weeks for you to be fully vaccinated even after you get that second shot we i think we all understand that but we were also told by these same experts about three weeks ago that we're probably going to have to continue wearing masks in some form of social distancing for months after this if if not you know maybe into the next year and now we're basically being told no you don't have to and, and what I guess I'm asking the same question we asked uh, when some government started to set restrictions up a while ago. Show me the science to, to make me feel comfortable with this, that this is the right thing to do.
2: And that's exactly what people want. And that was one of the reasons, as I was saying earlier, that CDC's guidelines were such a like failure because they recommended the removal of masks way before it was prudent, way before that should have been suggested. Um, and what we don't want to see is the guidelines such as that introduced too early. We're seeing that in Israel right now, um, they stopped using masks, but then they reintroduced it about one week later when they started to see cases picking up. So, you know, what do we do in that situation? I don't really know because the only place that has really fully removed masks, which is Israel, has a lot of their population vaccinated, they saw a small uptick upon that removal of masks. But I think we can all agree that one of the best ways to get into a society where we don't have to wear masks is to get people vaccinated. That's the way to reduce case counts and also, most importantly, reduce hospitalizations.
0: Two statistics that I know you've talked about, and I want to get your read on this based on what these recommendations are telling us today. Uh, one is that uh, this Delta variant, and apparently even the variant of the Delta variant, uh, seems to have a more of an impact on the 25 and under demographic than it does for people over 25. That That's one element to this. Uh, and, and when you look at those numbers, that's rather, t- you know, very, very concerning. Uh, and, and then there's the children that you talked about just a couple of minutes ago. And we you can debate until the cows come home as to whether or not uh, they little carriers or whatever, but they're not going to get vaccinated for quite some time. And the other statistic that I wanted you to comment on is apparently now, according to the, the info we got from Health Canada over the weekend, the majority of people that are actually uh, suffering right now with the Delta variant are people that had not been vaccinated at all. So that shows the validity, I guess, and the importance of the vaccination. But if a lot of people are going to say, hey, things are opening up, I don't need to get vaccinated, you know, I go back to my original point, are we making a bad situation worse?
2: Yeah, and I think that's where the whole vaccine passport comes in, or at least allowing businesses to have a requirement for someone to have to be vaccinated, especially with places like indoor dining where your mask is off, where maybe ventilation may be a little bit sketchy, um, you know, that would be one way to kind of approach that situation. I think it's a whole other ball game when it comes down to that under 12 population, which as it stands right now, will not be able to be vaccinated at all. I've, I've heard of, of um, like studies looking at the late 12 months to 11 year old population in terms of vaccination. I'm not sure when those are going to come out. But up until then, as it stands right now, we'll be entering the fall where we have 11 year olds and under not vaccinated. What are the restrictions for a population that may not have a serious outcome? Um, you know, will that be based on the number of, of adults that are fully vaccinated? That's where, that's why I firmly believe that the Ontario stage reopening plan is really solid because it was based off of targets around how many people were fully vaccinated. And I think that if we have targets around how many 12 plus are fully vaccinated, we can start to re release restrictions and not have to have those restrictions on the under 12 population
0: well i know you're going to keep an eye on the numbers for us as you always have and uh, we'll be in touch soon to see how this is rolling out ryan as always thanks for the time today really appreciate it you better take it easy. Bye. You bet you. Ryan Imgur, of course, biostatistician who's uh, been studying and analyzing COVID-19 and, of course, the variants. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Thursday is Canada Day. It'd uh, be a day off for an awful lot of people. And usually, of course, uh, you know, before the pandemic, it was a day for celebration on Parliament Hill and in many, many other cities right across the country. Now, uh, Canada Day has become a battleground for the political leaders, as uh, Stephanie Taylor reports.
1: I'm very proud to be Canadian, and I know most people are as well.
3: Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole says he can't stay silent when people are trying to cancel Canada Day. Some cities are skipping the usual fireworks and flag waving after the discovery in Kamloops.
2: There have been atrocities committed on this
0: land.
3: Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller says he has mixed feelings about Canada Day. He says July 1st should be a time of reflection on what Canada is and what it has done. Stephanie Taylor, The Canadian Press, Ottawa.
0: Never thought this was going to be an issue, but apparently it is. And, of course, it's because of some of the reaction that we've seen about the residential schools and the, uh, the tragic discovery of hundreds and hundreds of unmarked graves. So uh, is this going to resonate with people? Uh, John Iverson wrote about it in the National Post last week and thinks that uh, O'Toole may be onto something here. i bring bring uh, Dr. Laurie Turnbull in the conversation. Uh, Dr. Turnbull is the director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Uh, doctor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. Well, oh, thanks so much to you, too. There's a lot going on here, and a lot to unpack. Maybe we could start with some of the reaction, and then we'll get into what uh, Mr. O'Toole's comments about, uh, about and some of the phraseology that he's using about Canada today. Uh, th- there seems to be a push right now to say, okay, this, this should be a day of mourning, not a day of celebration. Uh, and uh, depending on who you talk to, it's, it's become a very polarized issue, hasn't it?
3: It has. I was thinking the exact same thing this morning as I was sort of preparing for our conversation. And there seems to be that kind of lightning rod reaction now where you are on one side or another. And I'm not sure that's the best thing. I mean, it might make sense from some, you know, from the perspective of some politicians to try to make a wedge issue out of this and create a line that you're on one side or another. But I think there's probably, you know, when you talk to people across the country, probably a deeper consensus around the fact that this is not the year for fireworks. But probably, you know, a little bit more thoughtful approach to what it means to be Canadian and, you know, what we're what we're gonna be doing going forward.
0: But why do, do this, this is the latest one, really, Doctor, in, in a long number. We can go back, you know, let's have the discussion about John McDonald. McDonald uh, Let's have the discussion about residential schools in general. It's, it's black and white. There, there's no, you know, I'm not suggesting there has to be a compromise here. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be an idea here that, look, we can still celebrate, but we need to be aware of, of the mistakes that we as a country have made and things of this nature. It's just, no, let's just forget the whole thing. Uh, and the Prime Minister seems to be on that side. Mr. O'Toole, uh, quite the opposite
3: yeah and so like you can and as you're saying like the, the words that people are using mean a lot right because in some ways um some people are trying to find a nuanced kind of middle ground approach where it's you know and, and as you said, like the federal minister says, he has mixed feelings about Canada Day. And so we're going to take time to reflect. And But that's not what we think of usually when we think of Canada Day. So I can see where Erin O'Toole is coming from, from the perspective of, you know, we do Canada Day or we don't. Whereas on the other hand, some people are saying, hey, look, you know, we let's take this opportunity to do something thoughtful and meaningful. And when I think about it, people, I mean, some, some people participate in years past. I mean, now it's COVID, so that's a whole other lens on this, but You know, in in years past, some people have participated in the federal celebrations on Canada Day in Ottawa. But most people celebrate Canada Day if they do at all. Um, They will celebrate with their family, with their friends, with their community. Many people work on Canada Day. And so I think what we're really talking about in one's experience with, with the day is actually quite local. I've heard really interesting comments from mayors and, you know, cities and towns who are taking leadership and saying, you know, we're not going to do the fireworks this year or we're going to do something that's a little calmer, a little more reflective. We're going to talk to Indigenous people about what they're going through. So it doesn't have to be, I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. I think we can, you know, there's lots of people who are saying we're not doing the celebration part. We're definitely not doing fireworks, but we're using the day to think about important things about what has happened and what, what we have to do now.
0: Here's what I find troubling, and, and it's it's you're right, what you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, wards do matter in situations like this. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you know the accusation, which is not unusual for one political leader to attack another for their beliefs, or alleged beliefs in situations like this, but he's accusing the Prime Minister of trying to destroy Canada day of Jagmeet Singh doing the same sort of thing, uh, of anybody who's calling for something like that to be basically, well, I'll use the phrase, un-Canadian. Uh, and, you know, the the line, the hook line that he seems to be wanting to gravitate to here, it's time to build Canada up, not tear it down, which to me uh, sounds an awful lot like make America great again. Are we heading down that road of nationalism?
3: <laughs> I hope not. Um, I think, you know, we saw, uh, and I know Mr. Iverson had had, Mr. had referenced this in, this, in his column, yeah. like we saw some of that messaging coming from Aaron O'Toole when he first won the leadership. And, you know, without going down that rabbit hole, I think as he won the leadership, it was a very different kind of campaign where it was pretty well all virtual. And instead of having a big national splash kind of campaign, he was having small, quiet conversations with constituencies across the country where he was having, you know, kind of conversations that were responsive to whatever the constituency was was hopeful for or prioritizing at the time. And I think, you know, Mr. O'Toole said all sorts of things. But one message that did come out in some of the tweets that were, you know, gone national kind of thing, was this idea of ma- making Canada great again and building Canada up. And it's like, oh, God, you know, like, hold on. When, when you're in that, you can't leave out the context. And when you're in the context of the Trump era, that fell flat. I think that didn't make any sense. And so now when he's, we're in a bit of a different era and he pitches a message in a different context, as Iverson says, maybe he's onto to something. I think, um, you know, there's some statistics to suggest. There's some survey evidence to suggest that, you know, a a good chunk of Canadians don't believe Canada to be a racist country. They still believe that Canada is something to be proud of. However, that doesn't mean they don't think that racism is a problem. They absolutely do. And there's obviously national horror at what we've found in terms of uh, what has happened at residential schools. And so I think, you know, if if Mr. O'Toole is trying to find a message to pitch to people that will resonate, I am not sure... That a polarized um, wedge issue approach is going to work here, because the prime minister is not going to be backed into a corner on this. He's not, you know, he's not going to say there's nothing to be proud of in being a Canadian because, frankly, he's the prime minister. He can't say that. And then the next question would be, okay, so why do you want to be prime minister of such a miserable place? Oh well, and then, then he's he's down, you know, he's down the drain on that. And so I think you know we'll see a lot of positioning over this.
0: Uh, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head when it comes to this. And I saw the Angus Reid survey that uh, that John Iverson referenced as well. And and it, it, it sends a strong message, certainly, but I think it's 75% of the people, no matter what their political stripe, uh, don't think Canada is a racist country. Now, but there's two elements to that. First of all, uh, I'm sure most of the people that were you know interviewed for the poll uh, don't want it to be a racist country so of course they're going to say no i don't think so uh secondly i mean donald trump didn't think he was a racist either doesn't think he's a racist so i mean it's in the eye of the beholder oftentimes but and i don't think anybody is saying it's a racist country uh but racism exists here and there is a difference
3: Hmm. it's tough right like i mean it when you put it like that right like is Canada a racist country? And if, if we say, no, it's not a racist country, but there's racism here, so what does that mean? Because I think a lot of people would agree with that. But then, so what do we do then, right? And where do we acknowledge that there's, that, where do we truly acknowledge that the racism exists if we're saying it's not a racist country? Well, where is the racism then? And if we think, you know, if we, if I, I don't think we can look meaningfully and think meaningfully about the legacy of residential schools and say that Canada's not a racist country. That is absolute, slam dunk evidence of uh, systemic racism that built over time and was actually embedded in the actions of the state. And so, but that said, you know, here's, here's hoping that the the horrific realizations that we've had, and I think we'll continue to have, are going to help us build beyond that. And, you know, our reactions and and thoughtfulness, you know, going forward is going to be a big step in ensuring that we're not a racist country. But I think this is I mean, this issue is just starting I think and it so happens that at this point we're we're going into this Canada Day week, which yes is normally a big celebration for us and it's giving us all a pause. Which is which is a healthy thing.
0: I mean, the timing is, is a factor here, too. I mean, you know, we're, yeah. we're seemingly coming out of the pandemic, and people are looking forward to trying to get together, if not in the large numbers as always, or at least larger numbers, and some sorts of celebration. And I know that was before these, these horrific stories came out uh, in, in Kamloops and in Saskatchewan. I mean, there was an expectation that Canada Day was going to be kind of the start of, of mm-hmm. you know, g- getting back on our feet again. And uh, probably not going to happen now because of this. And I can understand that. I mean, this is, this is like discovering, a, you know, when you're on your way to the fair and all of a sudden you find there's a death in the family and you, you don't want to carry on yeah. and say oh, let's go on the ferris wheel you know the, there has to be some period of, of uh, maybe not mourning necessarily but of recognition of what went on here and and the government's role and, and the church's role in that
3: yeah I, I think that's that's putting it really really well i really like how you put that and i think also political leaders have a leadership role here right like in some ways it's we have every reason to look to the prime minister and to other political leaders to say okay like how so what what does it mean now what does canada day mean how can we be both um you know acknowledging the successes of the country but at the same time being very mindful of the times that we failed and how we might be failing now and so i think that's i mean that's a difficult thing to do and it's it's a test for political leaders to be able to find a very, um, you know, authentic message that will resonate with people. And that's, you know, there, there's a political imperative there, obviously, because as you mentioned timing, we're also, I'm pretty, I'm sure we can sort of say this now, uh, you know, it looks, all signs point to the fact that we're going into election. And so this isn't um, a year where politicians can assume that people aren't really listening to the messages that, you know, and, and I think people are listening very carefully to the words that people are, the political leaders are using.
0: The other element to this, too, and I'd like to get some clarification from Mr. O'Toole and, and the Prime Minister, I guess, in this matter, is what do you mean by celebrating Canada Day? I mean, I, I, I celebrate being a Canadian. I, I celebrate you know the the incredible accomplishments that have happened in this country uh the, the contributions we've made to the world and and you know that's what i thought but i don't need fireworks to do that i mean that's that's something that that you know we know from our history uh but if we're going to take the good from the history we also have to accept and recognize the bad in the history too we didn't do a very good job of that in the past
3: that's it and i mean i know what you're saying like we there's lots of ways that people can observe a holiday and maybe that's what we're thinking about now right is how do we observe how do we acknowledge and, you know, it's not necessarily going to be what it normally is. And that's go- that's OK. We don't have to do the fireworks. It's fine. We just have to figure out how to think. And, and maybe, you know, that doesn't like I say, yeah, there's there should be leadership from from politicians here. And I believe that that's true. But there's it's also going to be in the conversations, you know, at the pubs on Thursday or around, you know, around the barbecue or with your friends or at, or at your work gonna you know are those conversations going to reflect a mindfulness about what we're living and what we have to do to go forward and make that better And so I think that's like to me as much as, as the politicians are having this, this conversation at that level, it's what's really important are also the conversations that
0: people are having at the community level. Well exactly but oftentimes the, that that is serving the, 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 the political leaders I mean they're the ones that have to set the tone here. Uh, and it's, as opposed to, uh, you know, seeing a sense of, of of contrition, I guess is one word to use, and, and a sense of, of acceptance of, of the role here, uh, I, I'm seeing political leaders making this a wedge issue because they know there's an election imminent, and they're, they're trying to, this is dividing, not bringing people together, which is not really what we need at this stage.
3: Exactly, and that I have the exact same concern as you. And, and to be honest, I don't think that ultimately this is going to drive into the wedge issue that some are hoping it is because I don't think that people will ultimately be backed into corners over this. I think um, there's enough, I think that there, there is an emerging, you know, we need to be thoughtful kind of consensus and we need to be mindful and we need to talk to each other and we need to be, you know, if Canada is going to be the country that we want to be, it has to be the best country for all of us, not the best country for some of us. And so conversations about how we get there, what reconciliation means, what solutions-oriented approaches we're going to take, how we're going to make things better, that's all part of it. That can all be part of uh, you know, a, an appropriate approach to Canada Day this year.
0: In, in John's column, and uh, forgive me for using this as the, as the frame for, for our, our, our conversation, but he made some interesting points as he usually does in his columns. Uh, he, right at the beginning, he talked about you know O'Toole's message before this uh, became such a, a major issue, and it was basically blah 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 not resonating with Canadians. We saw that. As a matter of fact, he even had a dip in the polls uh, as a result of some of the stuff he came out with. You know about you know ethics and all this sort of stuff, and people just aren't into that right now uh is this going to be of the same ilk i mean if, if they're trying to make this a wedge issue i mean them that don't like the prime minister are going to not like him even more uh, i don't know that it's going to make everybody yeah. hate him now uh them that like mr o'toole are going to like him even more because of this but is, is it really moving the yardsticks one way or another
3: yeah i know what you're saying so i think um i think you're absolutely right you know like when you like that style of messaging when it when you're trying to sort of paint a picture of a person and you're trying to you know you're trying to create a narrative around the prime minister will resonate you know especially well with the people who thought it already and will just be ignored by the people who didn't buy it and so the question is how can O'Toole appeal on the basis that he will grow his support beyond the base and so I think that's where this becomes you know possibly we, we look at, at in that case just from a political perspective we can look at Mr. O'Toole's approach to the Canada Day issue and trying to make that a wedge issue as part of, from, just from a political perspective, um, uh, an overall attempt to create a narrative of who the prime minister is. And it is as, you know, good guy, means well, ultimately accomplishes nothing, just apologizes all the time. And you need someone who can deliver for you. And so then the question becomes, can O'Toole convince Canadians that he's that guy? And I think, you know, that's where the rest of their plan comes in. But also, I think it's, it's a typical political approach for a party to try to create a narrative and, around the other leader and to tell us who that person is. That's worked really well for Stephen Harper's conservatives in the past. It hasn't worked on Trudeau, because he's always had his own brand, whether you like it or not. He had a brand before he was elected. No one can really tell us who he is. So it'll be interesting to see whether this approach which is a bit more nuanced than Harper's, I would say. It'll Mm -hmm. be interesting to see whether O'Toole gets anywhere with this.
0: More to come on this one, as always. Doctor, a pleasure. Thanks for the time today. Thank
3: you, too. Take care.